Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montessi and we've got the full team in for the show today. That's AFL legend Warren Treadray with us along with sports media veteran Dion Heyman. Welcome boys. G'day boys. G'day Monty. Now we're kicking off another episode of Talk Back with Treaders. Had lots of good feedback last time. It was, uh, yeah, it was a couple of months ago now, but um, this is where we give our listeners and subscribers the chance to throw us those burning questions in sports business for discussion. Now, Dion, what's the first topic, mate? Well, guys, uh, Diana uh, has uh, raised an interesting issue, uh, which is um, a result of last week's um, departure from the Adelaide Crows in uh, Fisher Mackesy, a young defender, and uh, she wants to know, how much uh, salary cap does uh, his absence free up for the club? Uh, what can you tell us about that, Travis? Well, if it was a, a club at the top, you'd probably have a bit of an issue because my understanding is, is uh, around about the three hundred fifty to $400,000, it probably sits on their salary cap. We know Adelaide has had heaps of room in their cap, which helps them. Um, obviously, uh, front-loading Isaac Rankin, you only can do that when you're paying a guy eight fifty or roundabouts in his first year when you're in a situation quite literally, where you've got so much room in the cap. So it's not going to hurt Adelaide that way, but what it is going to hurt is he's a first-round draft pick and he uh, stepped away from the game. So that's one player they're hoping to replenish their list and boost back up the ladder. Um, that will hamstring them pretty uh, significantly in the long term. But reality says, um, yeah, it's not a huge amount. It's above the AFL average for a player who hasn't played much, but clearly he's got some other issues going on in his life that... Uh, is the reason for stepping away and none other than a serious uh, family medical issue that happened a couple of years ago, which sort of he had to live through. And there's no doubt that would take a significant effect on anything uh, mental health related in his life. And just on the Crows there, interesting too, it uh, looks like they may uh, be in the position to uh, have to cover another spot on their list with the Paul Seedsman uh, done for the season with ongoing concussion issues. So they're obviously going to be in the market for uh, a couple of spots uh, on their list uh, which, um, I mean, it's uh, it's not surprising, Seedsman. He didn't play last year, but uh, it, it does. It is a blow, and it um, it's going to set them back a little bit. They're going to have to pick up a couple of uh, lower lower grade sort of players. Yeah, that's true. And he was a classy player. I think the the year he got crook, he, he was in the All Australian Forty. He was one of the top few, if not number one, ranked wingmen in the comp for Champion Data. So. Uh, he was. Uh, that's a massive, massive loss for Adelaide. Clearly, it hasn't come out of left field. They've known he's been carrying these issues and head-related knock issues, concussion issues for quite some time. I think the most important thing is he gets his health right. Clearly, that is the right way to do it. But you know at the start of the year when they move him on to a long-term injury list uh, with concussion protocols, it says to him that he's unlikely to play. But the news that's just come through to say that he won't play this year pretty much says, sadly, it's uh, career over. But more importantly, he's going to look after his health long-term because no one wants to see the long-term damage that continuous head knocks can do to some person post-football. Yeah, they're uh, they're in a bit of strife there, which, um, yeah, it's going to be tough for this management to juggle. Now, we've got a question from one of our subscribers, Big Jack. Um, now, Jack's actually sent in some audio, so let's have a listen to what he's 
got to say. Hey lads, big fan of the podcast and big deal newsletter, so keep the magic coming. My question today is in relation to the AFL draft, specifically father-son picks and to lesser extent academy players. It just seems like teams aren't having to give up enough to match the bid of a player. Especially in the last few years, you have teams like Collingwood picking up maybe the best player in the draft in Nick Dacos. The Dogs managed to finish fifth on the ladder but picked up Sam Darcy second in the draft, giving up the 23rd pick and some junk picks after that. The Crows finished last in 2020. They didn't even have a chance at the first pick of the draft because the Dogs just easily matched Jamari Ugelhagen. There are a few bids in draft history that actually haven't been matched. To some extent, I understand the academy players and club resources that have been poured in and invested into these kids' development, but are clubs getting too large of a discount on former players' kids? I gather Jack's a Crows fan, so I don't mind Jack's question, and I understand uh, when it comes to father-son, if your club's been stiffed, which it looks like it has, let's be honest, they finished bottom, didn't get the last pick, um, they didn't get the best player in the draft, but I must say, with clear eyes, away from any club agenda, I want the AFL to change the father-son rule, and I want them to change it to a stage that no club should have to give up any player to have father-son. We've seen in recent years how it has worked, as you mentioned, with Dacos and um, Luke Darcy's son. Uh, is, you know, Dacos a couple of times. Um, but we did see Luke Edwards go off to West Coast because Adelaide didn't deem him high enough pick to take. I'd love for a stage where... Stephen Kernahan's son. Pick every legend you've got, right? Kernahan's son, Tony Modra's son, Gavin Wanganing's son, Warren Treadray's son. son. Any legend who's ever played the game, I'd love to see them end up at their, their football club. And I know why this happened years ago. Geelong hit the jackpot. They got Scarlet. They got two Ablets. They got Hawkins. And they also, in the draft, got a Jimmy Bartell in one of those years. So that built a dynasty for them. But you know what I say? Good on them because when, I think births, deaths and marriages, you can look to see how many births there are. There's generally more females than males, right? So we're talking the AFL men's system. So they're not eligible for that, right? So the likelihood is you've got less than 50% chance of having a boy, a hell of a lot less percentage than your son actually wanting to play football, and then even a minute percentage that they're going to be in the best 50 players in the country in that time. So I'd like nothing better than to see, for example, what was great at Port Adelaide is um, – Brett Ebert was able to play at Port Adelaide um, with a father-son rule with his dad, uh, late Russell Ebert. Um, I'd love to see that continue and I'd love to see clubs just automatically list these players because I don't want them to be in a position where, oh, they're not good enough, we want to do it. What does that do for the fans? You know what I mean? That's the nostalgia in footy that we love. We know the game is business. I get all that. I know the worst team should get the first pick. I get all that. The best team should get the worst pick. I think trading, uh, all these bits and pieces and free agency are good for the game. But I think the one area they can improve is father-son because simply I'd love to see some nostalgia and a little bit of go through the ranks um, and end up at the football club of your dreams. It doesn't always work out. You, know, you look at Josh Kennedy and up at Sydney. He couldn't get an opportunity at Hawthorne. He went on to be an absolute superstar, potential Hall of Famer at Sydney. But I'd love for that to happen, and I hope the AFL actually goes back to basics and, and works on that one. There doesn't mean to be any draft picks change hands. Just let it happen. The academy, I get that. That is developing a player. There should be a discount. But when it comes to father-son, um, I think the one thing missing in this game is the real fans' uh, fever, and this would actually fuel the fan fever more than ever before if you could get a son of a legend to play at your club. 
Oh, I agree with you, Treaders. It's uh, it drives the very fabric of the game. The fans love it, don't they? Um, some massive uh, issues uh, boiling away in the AFL this year. I mean, as there always is, but twenty twenty three is going to be as big as any. The CEO Gil McLaughlin actually resigned. Uh, what about May last year? He's still there. Uh, he's going to be there for a few more months yet. Incredibly. Um, when are we going to see? When's he going to be replaced, Treaders? It's, it's quite an extraordinary situation uh they've only done as far as i understand very uh initial interviews um of uh, of candidates who are in the sphere to replace him and and it's going to be another couple of months minimum before he's he's out of the seat i reckon you smell that boys there's a stench coming from afl house and it smells to me that they're going to take the easy option and the company and the boys option and the boys club option and appoint someone from within. And I'm not saying those people aren't good. Don't get me wrong. But the game is crying out for a person from the outside, from club land. Uh, I know a little bit to do with Benny Gale at Richmond. I think what he's done with that football club and transformed them. Obviously, he doesn't do it alone. He does it with Peggy O'Neill and a wonderful board. You know, great list management with Blair Hartley and recruiting. You've got Damien Hardwick, who's evolved as a coach into a Hall of Fame coach, three premierships. Um, got some wonderful players too, but I think what Benny Gale has done is he stuck his neck out. He said, we want to win, was it three premierships and we want to be debt-free, we want to have 100,000 members. I think he's ticked off all of them, if not all of them. Um, And I'd love to see him sit in the AFL's um, main seat because the biggest criticism at AFL land is that they're not listening to the fans. They're not in the fans. They're not thinking for the clubs. They're thinking for the bottom line and the money. And I get money has a big thing to do with it, but it just smells to me that, when a CEO steps down at the women's grand final what early last year, we're now in a situation where, oh, no, we're extending him. So that says they're either unorganised or they've jumped too quickly or they've made calls. Because you know, realistically, if you're running a serious business, you, you, know, you look at the head of BHP or Santos, you think you're going to kick it down the street three months when everyone knows the person's not going to be there. They said he had to tick off the CBA. Well, anyone can negotiate the CBA. What is going to be left of this new CEO to do? Now, they've done the TV deal to 2098, years to gone. You know, financially been secure. They've got through COVID. The game is sort of getting back to normal now with no real restrictions. We've just seen a wonderful grand final in terms of turnout and TV ratings and the whole lot. Hey, the game was over early, but he can't control that. But now we're going to sit there and go, what? He has to then sign off the CBA? What's the other guy going to do? Twiddly sums and go to lunch. I think Benny Gale would be a wonderful appointment, and I think the AFL will miss the boat if they go internally rather than externally, and they just seem to be dragging their feet. Where was the succession plan, though, Treaders? I mean, we had one before, didn't we, when Andrew Demetriou was boss, I and mean, he basically groomed Gil McLaughlin for the seat. Uh, I don't know. Has Gil been grooming someone? Why isn't there someone to take the job? Well, Travis old has been mentioned, and Andrew Dillon have been mentioned, and they're two pretty good operators, but... I think you need to go to Clubland and actually spend some time and go, this is where we're at, because I think we forget too. The members effectively appoint the AFL, right? They, they run the AFL, the fans of the game. They are the economy of the game. And also, in return, the AFL competition CEO and, and chairman and, and, and the committee or the board, so to speak, in business level, they're, they're actually reflect Clubland. You hear any times in Clubland, it doesn't reflect what the clubs are after. So I'd love to see a club-related person roll in. Yes, you're going to still have the same commission that's there and the same executive, but I'd see, love to see him strip it back. COVID gave a great opportunity to strip out 
the excess spending in the game, and we've seen a lot of that, but by all reports, they've started spending again. So I think the most important thing is to bring it back to the fans, make it as cheap as you can for the fans. We've seen wonderful TV rights, but I think the biggest picture this next person's going to face is where it goes post this next TV rights, because I know when I walk into my kid's room, yeah, they love the footy, but they're watching half of it on TikTok. They're watching replays on YouTube. They're, they're not tuning into the game live. Some big stuff there, but you, you're talking about the CBA. The players are going to be having their, their hands out. How do you see that playing out, Treaders? Well, I think they're going to get their cut, and I'm all for the players. But since I've retired, I've also been acutely aware, a lot more acutely aware of the other restrictions or the challenges for the game. The players got looked after better than anyone in COVID. Let's make no mistake about that. For all the people that lost their jobs, um, footy department spends got cut by 30%. Senior coaches got cut by 30%. Well, it's fair to say, well, if they're on a million and they're doing it for 700 in a global pandemic, I think they're doing okay. You know, they're one of the few businesses that are able to operate freely uh, across borders um, with government consent. So there was a lot of positive there. The players dropped, I think, 8%, but they got 5% over the next two years. So they dropped 3%. Now, for a million-dollar player, 30 grand isn't a huge amount of money. I mean, it's still good money, but it's not its not life or death here. So I think the players get their whack. Consistently, they'll get their whack. The revenues are going through the roof with TV and, and other areas. And the AFL, as I said, it's, it's generally run like a business, not as a sport. There's no doubt about that. So they'll get their whack. But I want to see football departments and coaching being respending because did it get out of hand pre-COVID? Yeah, I think it did. But I do think that, you know, your development coaches, your assistant coaches are the ones that do the grunt work. The senior coach is like the manager. And when you lose the grunt, if I'm a senior player who's on a million bucks and I'm saying, hey, I need a court kicking coach or I want to stretch, you know, someone in fitness who can do extra stretching or whatever, I think that investment in going away with a little bit of money would help grow the game and help performance of individual players. So. Uh, I get that, but I think the most important thing is to refresh footy uh, department spends because they've been absolutely smashed. Traders, whoever this next CEO is, uh, they're probably going to be the the person in charge when Tasmania enters the AFL. And uh, the word is that that's looking like around 2027 at the moment. And um, interesting part is that'd be the 19th team. That's assuming no one falls over in the meantime. I don't think uh, my mail is that they're, they're not looking at having a 20th team. They're more interested in reducing it back to 18 with either some sort of a merger or a club disappearing again. Now, whether that's optimistic or not, I'm not sure. But uh, clubs don't tend to dissolve pretty uh, very easily. And Fitzroy got one right in the back uh, in 1996. I'm not sure whether that's going to happen again. How do you see that one playing out? Well, if you think with North Melbourne, North Melbourne were earmarked to merge with Fitzroy and then the AFL didn't about face and went and did Brisbane, if you believe what some senior officials at North Melbourne have said since that day. Um, I don't think shooting another team is smart. Pretty much most of the teams are doing okay financially. Um, and I think also, too, we've got to grow the game. We don't want it to go backwards. Why are we selling one less game? The AFL's all about selling what they can sell. So, yeah, 20th licence would be amazing, but they also know the infrastructure is going to hurt them, too, in a time when... The the, uh, the worldwide, no government has carried more debt than what we're seeing right now. So this is the frustrating bit for me. Tasmania, the mechanics work for me. Yes, am I a financial advisor? No. But I'm sitting there going, people of Tasmania deserve their rifle team as opposed to fly-in, fly-out football clubs they've seen with North Melbourne and Hawthorne over the last 10, 15 years. So they need to make it happen. 
But realistically, it can't fall just on the federal and state governments who's in debt up to their eyeballs, particularly after COVID. I think the AFL needs to adopt a model like with Adelaide Oval, where the government takes some share of the ownership of it, and it needs to be a multi-purpose venue. And they need to work out what's going to happen between Launceston and Hobart, because the team needs to be a team for all Tasmanians, not for a team for Hobart or a team for Launceston, to really create that financial dollar. But... I think the most exciting thing is Tassie looks like it's going to get a footy team and I'd love for the AFL to really buy in this partnership. Not offer $5 million to go, hey, we're here to support it. Put some serious cash up. Serious cash up where you have some serious stake in the game if you want this to happen because it can't just fall on the taxpayer because what happens if you're a taxpayer and you couldn't give a stuff about footy? Why should you be on the hoop now for even more money to fund a football club that you have no interest in. I think the AFL needs to put some serious cash up and put up a couple of hundred million bucks. Clearly with their new TV money they can. They spend it on other resources when they want. Make some cuts to the game um, to grow the game at grass level because if you speak to anyone from Tasmania, you what's happening in Burnie, what's happening in Davenport, it's nothing like it was 25 years ago. I think uh, grassroots needs to be um, sped in in terms of give some money and then also you'll, you'll You'll get on the other side with a, an, a, an aligned license uh, in the Apple Eye. Just to go back a step, Dion, are you saying that a club could be in the gun here in the next few years? Absolutely. Uh, I think there's, uh, from what I've heard, there's, um, uh, I mean, we all know North Melbourne has been the most vulnerable club uh, over the last five years or so because of their small membership base. But there's certainly rumblings around Melbourne that, uh, you know, maybe there's another club that um, maybe could be coaxed into uh, a merger or moving and, you know, look. Yeah, come on, mate. You're just, you're skirting around this. I'm liking this. Are you saying St Kilda? I didn't, but you just did. Well, I'm just looking. I know know their debt position's not great and that's why I'm about to defend North Melbourne and because North, they've made a profit the last 15 years. Yeah, no, it's distributions and all that, but... Financially, their balance sheet's pretty good. St Kilda, we know, is not great. Um, and there's a number of other clubs. I think Port Adelaide's holding a significant amount of debt. Um, and don't worry, there's a lot of other clubs in the comp too. Throw in GWS, Gold Coast. Um, there have been some challenges, I think, Brisbane in that time too. But I think that's just a massive backward move for the AFL. And I think that's that, that smells to me as an AFL decision or an AFL discussion, not a club land discussion. And that's very much what North Melbourne was too. I mean, woven into that is the fact that, um, you know, you're talking about what the AFL is going to tip into it. They're not actually tipping much into this Macquarie point. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. They need to cough up. Yeah, which is quite extraordinary. Most of the money's coming from the taxpayer, like you said, most of the Tasmanian taxpayer and some private investment. But um, the other interesting part of it, you are mentioning Launceston, and Launceston only looks like getting a couple of games uh, a year at the moment once the Tasmanian team is uh, up and running, and that's that's because there's a, um, a need to play most of the games in Hobart to help pay for the stadium. Imagine if you're a person who loves their footy and there's a lot of Hawthorne supporters in, you know, they've been there, what, 15 years at least in North Melbourne, uh, sorry, uh, in Launceston. But, yeah, I can understand all that, but I think it needs to be a team for all Tasmania. And you watch, you watch when the fixture comes out. Any interstate team who's not a, a big uh, churner of the, the turnstiles, It'll be Port Adelaide, it'll be Fremantle, it'll be Gold Coast, and it'll be GWS playing in Launceston, while Collingwood, Carlton, Essendon, all the big teams that pull the crowds. Um, same story as what happens in Geelong. And so that's why it's a fixture, and that's not a draw. You know, I mean, it is fixed, and it is fixed for a reason. I get revenues and all that, but you know, I think the AFL, if they seriously want to make this happen, they're going to have to cough up, because historically, 
by memory, they didn't cough up a huge amount of money in the West. They didn't cough up a huge amount of money in South Australia for Adelaide Oval. They, they rely on putting government pressure on um, to get va- votes for elections to get things done. And I think the days of all that coming, when you look at the, you know, the interest rates rising and the debt that the, every uh, state or fed uh, country owns, it's it's not easy to balance the books right now. And some would say they never will. Traders, what about the cats? Can they back it up? Yep, absolutely. How? You look at who's come out of their team, what's Selwood? They've actually improved their team. Yeah, so they got back into the first round draft. Uh, they've got some kids they think are seriously talented. I think they managed their players better than they ever did. And we thought that was, well, I'm the first, first to say I thought it. When you're coming off a non-COVID year and you're coming off full exposure to a full 23-round system, uh, we're now facing the uh, gather round in Adelaide where there's going to be time away from home and an extra round of football. I think the challenge is there, but uh, I think they prove um, beyond reasonable doubt that they're willing and able and could do it again. Absolutely. The biggest thing, however, is hunger. Once you go to the mountain, trying to replicate the desperation and hunger that you've gone close and fallen short, it's whether they can replicate that. And only know they'll, they'll do that and only their performance will dictate whether they can do that. Just want to have a look at the, some other sports now, boys. Um, plenty happening in the cricket. I mean, not so much on the field. It's been pretty disappointing. But we've seen Cricket Australia take a stance on Afghanistan and pull the plug on that tour. Um, you know, the Afghani players are quite rightly pretty flat. How do you see it? For me, it's government and it's politics. And I'm not trying to downplay women's participation with the Taliban. I think that's horrendous. But I think this is also government's posturing and virtue signalling a little bit because you know, Rashid Khan's statement that he, he said on social media and Adelaide Striker Superstar said he may revisit his situation because deep down, I think at the end of the day, there's been a war there for many, many years, right? And part of what we're trying to do in the world now is rebuild the place, aren't we? And rebuild relations. So I think if Cricket Australia are able to go, yes, we're going to go, um, but we're going to make this stance we don't agree with, I'd love to see that more so than, oh, we're not going to go. And I don't know the intricacies of the government, but it just looks like it's you know, part of part of all this. While there has been a world war, Australia's involved in the US and whatever happened over that journey, part of it is to go back and rebuild a country. He's in love with cricket and would love nothing better than the best team in the world to tour. Um, that That's the bit that I think is the big miss here. Right? And I just think the ability to grow the game and share and love as opposed to just go, no, we don't agree with this. You know, I mean, I didn't see these stance of not going to the World Cup when they had these um, thoughts. You know what I mean? It was a bit of, oh, hypocrites there. But I just think at the end of the day, I think there's an opportunity to show love and not to shit on a place. You know, if Cricket Australia was serious, uh, maybe we should have um, forfeited the T20 game against Afghanistan that was played at Adelaide Oval back in November. Now, you, you might say, oh, well, the Taliban only banned um, women going to university in December. That was that was before. Well, the fact is uh, women and um, f- females were banned from going to high school in Afghanistan as far back as 2021. Yeah. That was okay. Hardly be, they've hardly been advocates for women's rights yeah. over the years. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, where do you draw the line? This is the greater thing too. And we see the money being poured from Saudi Arabia into golf and now I believe it's happening into motocross as well too now. 
it's you take the money, then you don't talk about it. But for here, I think there's a great opportunity for Cricket Australia and the Australian government to stand up and go, hey, we don't agree with this, but we are going this and we are going to show our support for these for the women who have been ostracised and treated poorly you know, under these Taliban rights. And I think there's a great opportunity, as I said before, to show love instead of curtailing what could be a wonderful celebration and story. Well, imagine what the Afghani people and women would be able to do if they love their cricket and go to experience it. Now they're sitting back going, well, yes, someone's protesting, but what's really changing? Yeah, I mean, it's such a tough one because I can absolutely understand. And I think if I was in in a decision-making uh, role at Cricket Australia, I'd be I'd probably be thinking the same thing in terms of pulling out. But I think what what you've exactly said is is absolutely true as well. In that, um, it you now need to live by these standards, and um, these are pretty tough standards to keep when you're talking about an international game with international relations and countries having varied standards, and it's only going to increase. And so I think, you know, we've talked about it, you know, a fair bit on the podcast, but sport is in a really, really difficult position as it gets more and more immersed in politics. It's become a political pawn, hasn't it? It has. It has. It's become a political pawn because we, we know what happened in Pakistan all those years ago. You know, there was a massive terrorism incident. People got involved in a bus shooting and the whole lot. It was just horrific. But there's been a wonderful celebration of recent where teams have toured Pakistan and, and played test match series because it's like, you, it's like you're painting every person in the same brush. It's not about that. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not as simple as this discussion. It takes a lot more than that. But just on the, the, the surface of it, oh, you just feel saddened that something like this is happening this way when we could just show love and appreciation and support, not only grow the game but grow international relations as opposed to saying, no, we're not doing it because you don't do this. Well, the Australian government have done some pretty barbaric things the last couple of years, I would have thought, as to how they've handled certain situations. It's, uh, it's been a pretty tough, um, pretty tough uh, summer for Australian cricket too on the, uh, on the deck. And, and I say that in terms of, um, you know, there were some great performances, you know, Manus Labuschagne, Steve Smith, Travis Head, Alex Carey was great, you know, um, but the cricket was a bit flat, wasn't it? The test cricket was a bit flat. Um, a couple of tests against the West Indies, pretty one-sided. The South African series was very one-sided. Um, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. Like next summer, this is almost big as belief, another two test matches against the West Indies. I mean, I can't remember any summer in my lifetime where the same team has come two years in a row uh, for a couple of series like that, and there's going to be three tests against Pakistan as well, let's hope that that's an absolute blockbuster because uh, it looms as a little bit more of the same, doesn't it? Oh, I think it's absolutely every bit of the same. And I still remember the Perth test and watching the coverage on Seven and Foxtel flicking between the two to see who's commentating. I like follow my favourite commentator. Um, and they said, oh, well, surprisingly, uh, we're back again next year. Well, my first thought was, hang on. Adelaide Oval, I love going to the Adelaide Test. I went to watch the West Indies this year and they were terrible. Jeez, I hope we don't cop them next year. I hope we're in the other cycle of Pakistan. At least that'll be a bit more competitive, hopefully. But, yeah, I just think that's just the way cricket is. And as we know, that 
you know, back in the day when we are all growing up, the West Indies were the big ticket in town with the Ashes. India was like, oh, India, oh, yeah. Now India and England are the big ticket in town. When they come to town, then that's when the ACP and the broadcast rights really cash in with their ratings and their revenues because cricket, cricket is dictated to by India's control and sheer population and money wealth and the nostalgia and the money that comes from England is the all-important. That is the arch rivals, the Collingwood versus the Carlton. It's Port versus Adelaide, West Coast versus Frio in the foot, you know, the cricket context. So sadly, I think uh, you'll be, there'll be a lot of states josh, uh, jockeying as for that extra test because let's face it, Melbourne and Sydney ain't going to miss out on uh, Pakistan next year because they certainly won't be one of the West Indies. One other, one other state's going to be very, very lucky and they'll be jostling for that last position. Well, it's not all lost because we've obviously got the tour of India coming up and then the ashes. So we can hope that hopefully there's, a, there's some buzz and a bit of brand created that can, that can then flow in because, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting time for cricket at the moment. Some good cricket to watch uh, on um, primetime uh, TV ratings periods. Uh, what India in next month, and then England in uh, in June. Although it's amazing. Yeah, when your footy team's stinking it up, you should go. Oh, I don't like football anyway. I just want to watch the cricket. <laughs> even the England, even the ECB, though, has pushed that series very early in the summer, uh, so that they can basically put the 100 on, this 100-ball-aside uh, game, and put that on in the, the prime time part of their summer. So even the Ashes now are basically playing second fiddle to, to the 100. That's unbelievable. And then we obviously turn to the tennis. Like at the time of recording, uh, we've just heard that uh, Kyrgios has pulled out of the uh, Australian Open. Meanwhile, Channel 9 was, you know, it was supposed to be this, this incredible deal that they've done um, to get the broadcasting rights. What was it? 500 million. Licking their lips. But then no Kyrgios, obviously no Barty. All of a sudden, the deal has turned into an absolute nightmare. Traders, how do you see it? I agree with everything you've said because I was lucky enough in my time at working with Nine that I'd go over and present the Adelaide Sports News over at Melbourne Park, um, spend a bit of time in the hub, in the, the, the tennis hub, the World World of Sports hub. And oh, I didn't realise there was uh, some really interesting stuff back then is that, that they can actually pitch to Tennis Australia, who they want to play and the lineup for the evening. So what you'd find is that an ESPN or a, a Eurosport would actually pitch to Tennis Australia to say, hey, we'd like to see Djokovic or, hey, we'd like to see back in the day what Tim Hendon, who was great in, in the UK or an American, Paige Sampras play on the night fixture on, say, Ride Lava or at Vodafone Arena or Hisense Arena, one of the other arenas, Margaret Court Arena. Um and whilst, whilst the, the Seven Network at the time or Nine Network would pitch and say, hey, Ash Barty's on or Nick Kyrgios is on, we want to see them because that created the most eyeballs and also the greatest, uh, which in turn is revenue and then more money they can charge to their advertisers. So I didn't realise it was almost a joshing, joshing picture and pitching to Tennis Australia to work out how that fixture sounds. And uh, I can tell you right now, Without Kyrgios there, the Nine Network would be absolutely peeved because there is no Ash Barty. She used to rate big time. Kyrgios rates as high as anyone. Leighton Hewitt rates as high as anyone, particularly with Ian Kyrgios. You never know what you're going to get. You're going to get a bit of a tantrum. You get a little bit of a, um, you know, smash a racket or he dominate and get the crowd involved. And we also know that Kyrgios on the um, uh, was High Sense Arena, which was the third court, he loves that because it's like a nightclub, and that that really did come through to the broadcast. So the Nine Network and the and the broadcaster love that. But the other big one was if it wasn't an Aussie who was doing well, who do we want? 
well, we want Federer. Well, he's now retired. Um, we mentioned Barty. We want Serena Williams. You know, people tune in for her as, as Australians as that next batch they love. Um, Nadal a little bit past his best, but then Djokovic was never a big, big rater. But now we're knowing now that with this, you know, with a certain players on the wane, uh, Federer and Barty retired. Uh, Serena Williams says she's retired, but not retired, but still not playing. Now we're in a situation where the Djokovic circus of last year is, is Tennis Australia's hope for this year is to be a real success and a ratings bonanza. Because other than that, who's the big name? Sits a pass the air a bit. You know, and who's the someone that's coming through to actually grab the Australian audience? Because that's what the TV network and nine particularly want. They don't have that right now. And with Nick Kyrgios going in the last you know, 24 hours or so, that is a sledgehammer to the guts of the broadcaster and particularly Tennis Australia, who has lost significant money the last two or three years with COVID. They're trying to bury that hole of, of debt they've got. They sure wouldn't want uh, Novak to go out in the first round or something, would they? I mean, uh, he's the he's probably the, the, the big ticket now in that tournament. Absolutely. And we know that, you know, he played in Adelaide and he's talked about he's been a bit tight and he's, he's stepped away from a couple of, um, uh, what do you call it, um, hit-ups or friendlies, uh, exhibition events. Um, they need him to go the journey and um, for them to, to get the resources back on the revenue because if it's, as we know, you know, last year without Djokovic at um, the US Open um, and Australian Open, I'm sorry, but I know Barty won, but I had no real interest in the men's draw once he was out because it looked like a bit of a dead rubber. Hey, speaking of big tickets, um, I mean, we've spoken a bit about uh, how Australian soccer, shall we say, shot shot itself in the foot a bit with the uh, the whole moving the A-League Grand Finals to Sydney, etc., and the horrendous scenes at the, the Melbourne Derby. Um, but uh, we've got the Women's World Cup here in uh, July uh, this year. Um, 500,000 tickets sold already. This is going to be a massive event this this year in Australia. I mean, could it um, could it even be our chance to sort of you know showcase what we can do in terms of pitching for the the men's event, whether it be you know twelve, sixteen, twenty years down the track or something? It's a it's going to be huge, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's going to be massive. And you, let's let's be honest, our women's soccer team are better than our men's. If you look at world rankings, yeah. Australia. Did, don't get me wrong, I love I love my soccer. I'm an Arsenal fan who's sitting there actually happy, got rid of the uh, sawdust off my head after coming out of the woodwork for 10 years. But <laughs> we're in a situation now in Australian uh, football, as we say, that our women's team are unbelievable. Sam Kerr dominating uh, over in the uh, Women's English Premier League over there. We've got players all over around the world. We've got them in England. We've got them in Spain, you know, Europe, the whole lot, US, who are dominating. And I think it's a great opportunity and probably increases our chances of having ultimate success simply by playing at home. Because in, any sports person, person knows when you're home in your, front of your home crowd and that, you know, and that happens from my perspective in an AFL season every second week, you feel a little bit better and walk a little bit higher. You get the cheer of the crowd that's a lot more. Imagine what happens when you hardly ever play here and then you're like Sam Kerr coming home. You know, she's a dead set superstar and one of the best in the world. Who's to say we couldn't pinch it? You know, we saw the US women years ago. Totally. And totally dominate ever since then. So I think it's a celebration. I think it's a wonderful exposure. And, and who knows? You never know with FIFA. Money talks. I'm not sure we've got as deep as pocket as some of the uh, countries, the, particularly in the oil states and countries. But, um, hey, I think it'll be a wonderful bit right in the middle of, as we say, AFL, NRL, ARU footy season, um, taking it on head-to-head. And I think people will tune in. And certainly, like we saw with this year's uh, World Cup, we didn't think the Aussies were going to get out of their group stage. But when they did, People just, Aussies get behind them. They get behind and support their own, particularly if they're an underdog. And I think there's a great opportunity for our girls. 
And from a brand perspective, we just can't underestimate how powerful the Matildas are. I think there's actually been some research over the last couple of years where the Matildas actually came out as the most popular national team. So I think um, like we saw with the Socceroos, there's that from a brand perspective, it's one of those cross-code things. Um, Everyone kind of comes together united behind a brand. And I think it could... You know, we've already talked about Sam Kerr, but you're going to see these mega stars potentially emerge from the Matildas yeah, on the back and of also success a at the World of Cup. Leagues who I think would be trembling in their boots, meaning AFL House with AFLW, and also Netball Australia, who's got their own challenges financially, because we know participation is massive. We talk about on this big deal. We talk about the deals are done. Subway quite literally signed with the football, uh, Socceroos Football Federation because, FFA, because participation levels. And all these sports are competing for grassroots girls, particularly in what we're talking about here, to take up their sport. Soccer's huge participation. If the girls go well, watch how many young girls of the future want to be Sam Kerr and score goals and dominate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned netball. Netball's got a World Cup going up against the Women's World Cup. Like, they've had a tough run, Nettie, but it's, it's not ideal. It's, it's a pretty crazy year. Like, what we're looking at Women's World Cup, Netball World Cup. I think the Hockey World Cup's going on now. You've got the t- Women's T20 World Cup. You've got the FIBA World Cup with the Boomers. Rugby World Cup. It's year of the World Cup. Cricket One Day International World Cup later in the year. It's a massive year for athletes representing their countries. It should be wonderful. It's incredible, isn't it? What do you reckon, Treaders? Could you have could you have pulled on the uh, green and gold at some point? Wouldn't it be bad to be cashing in this year? Uh, I'd pull it on, but I wouldn't be any good. <laughs> it's one of those interesting ones. I think um, a lot of these national teams as well, they, they don't get those consistent opportunities. So, um, yeah, I think from a brand perspective, there'll be a lot of athletes really looking at uh, – kind of cashing in on their moment in the sun, that's for sure. And as they say, that's why you've got to strike while the iron's hot, and that's what was so disappointing for what they did wonderfully well, the World Cup in terms of the men's soccer team, the Socceroos, and then only to have a few nimwits at a Melbourne derby and uh, some admin people who decided to move a grand final and really just, you know, people behaving poorly and people not having the foresight of what their fans want. It's why you've got to be totally aligned in a game. Absolutely. We've got all those World Cups like you just mentioned, Monty, and uh, it's going to be a bit of interest too at the Masters where we're going to have, uh, you know, the traditionals and uh, live golfers rubbing shoulders uh, for the first time. How do you reckon that'll play out? Well, gosh, how do you know, eh? You just hope that, you know, I think this is all heading towards like I think. For me, this smelt at the start like the World Series cricket moment and we go back to the ABC broadcasting, Kerry Packer coming in World Series we're seeing traditional golf come together with live golf. I think eventually, hopefully, we find a, a space where one players are remunerated well um, and you can finally get on the same page. But I think that's a move towards the future because realistically, you, you don't want to be seeing two different tours competing with each other. Um, the money tour and the different format that people don't really like with the best players and in the best format not necessarily with the best players. I don't think the fans win because ultimately that's what the games are about. As soon as you start worrying about dollars and cents and distributions or who does this and who does that, it's got to be affordable for fans. It's got to be the interest of fans. 
Because um, if you lose sight of that, it doesn't matter what you're playing. If it's marbles in the park, if people don't want to see it, it means nothing. It's kind of hoping you're going to flag a bit of biff, you know, between the traditionalists and the new breed at the Masters or something, mate. I mean, what would a what would a punch on look like out there? Be very polite. Now, there's rumours around that the live golf players are going to be playing with solid gold golf balls because <laughs> that's how much cash they got. They don't fly as well, but if you get hit in the crowd, you're an all-star. I think they're all uh, they're all friends off the deck, though, aren't they? The golfers. I mean, uh, there was a bit of tension between um, cricketers back in the the eighties when uh, rebel tour, tourists were going to South Africa, taking the big coin, and uh, the traditional team was left behind. You know, in ruins, pretty much. Um, I'm not sure it's like that with the golf. No, but it started off like that in the golf. Remember the, the press conference? Oh well, they've sold out. They've sold out. I think partly that was because yeah. they're pissed that they didn't get off of the deal the other bloke did. Yeah, that's so, right. Really, with all these situations, it's all about timing. It's, we've talked about it with contracts. We recently spoke about it with Marty Pask. It's all about timing. If you're a certain type of player or in form and unbelievably well, Dustin Martin did it in the AFL recently, cashed in, Nathan Cleary. We look at the massive deal he's got on uh, and had wonderful success. It's all about timing. And uh, like this, the live golfers, the best players in the world, all got signed up to the squillion dollars and the blokes who were out injured or probably weren't playing as well. You know, we're left with the chicken feed that's still probably about 10 million bucks a year. So that'll be fine. <laughs> well, again, we've covered a lot of territory on our uh, Talk Back with Treaders episode. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you if you've got some more questions or talking points, anything want, um, that you want to throw at us. Send us a voice note like Big Jack did. Um, or just flick us a text or an email, whatever it is. Carry a pigeon, I don't know. Just let us know and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it with the big fella. So thanks everyone for joining us. And remember, there's a stack of great interviews lined up. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and keep track of the latest sports deals, details and drama by joining our community at www.thebigdeal.au. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.